you're probably uh, aware that uh, that I mucked up my preaching whatever you call it well I preached one when I shouldn't have done because the one that I preached last time you should have got today so what I didn't know was that I didn't know anything about the way that the service was going to go on this morning and um, I don't think anybody else knew what I was preaching on so um, this is the extraordinary thing so I believe that God has opened the way for me Um, I'm very blessed by it please turn to Ephesians chapter 6 verses 10 uh, to 20 Ephesians chapter 6 verses 10 to 20 finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers against the authorities against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace in all circumstances take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end keep alert with all perseverance making supplication for all the saints and so also for me that words may be given to me in, in, my opening my, in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak does it work? Ah, there we go, it works. Okay. Uh, my decision um, to change the text was uh, twofold. Uh, one was that I'd messed it up, so I need to apologize that I preached a sermon before I should have done. And the second one was actually to focus our attention to evangelism rather than our normal series, because we have got two guest services that come ever closer. And I have a a growing and deepening desire to see God save more than we see at the moment. And to be honest, if I'm honest with you now, uh, it is weighing me down. But I don't feel that that is a bad weight. I actually feel that it is a good weight. So I actually like it. So I'd like to just introduce you to uh, the burden of evangelism. (laughs) And I want you to be honest with me, because I'm going to be honest with you. I believe that virtually every earnest Christian is grieved by their weakness in the area of evangelism. I believe that if we're honest that There is not a zealous person here in this room that does not, who feels content with their effectiveness and with their 
own ability in regard to personal evangelism. I guess that you and I feel guilt for our timidity. We feel regret, sometimes anger for our missed opportunities. We feel phony when we're out because we don't feel the compassion of the people that we just walk by. So Sainsbury's or Tesco's or any other place that we visit does not move us at all. The offers, two for one, move us quite quickly. But do the people that pass us by in vast quantities move us? No. And we know that. And then you get somebody like Rupert who is putting together a program of evangelism for 2010 and you and I have to listen to it and if we're all honest, it feels like somebody has put a heavy weight on our shoulders. Do we really have to have a program of evangelism for 2010? One of the most freeing things, I think, right now, would actually to be to admit those things, than to not be dishonest with each other and with ourselves and just say, yeah, that's me. That's exactly me. You've described me. Because the, the problem is that what happens is you go, no, I have a zeal for evangelism, a passion for the lost, ready to raise the dead, go out. And, and actually the reality is that that don't match up with our lives, guys. So why not free yourself and just say, I'm a burke in this. I'm a complete and utter burke in it. Release yourself. Why put the burden on yourself? Just say, no, that's me. But I think what you'll see also is that you'll see that it is a universal experience. That actually every Christian feels a measure of this. Every Christian does. Let me introduce you to a guy called James Usher. James Usher was a, an evangelical teacher. He was a preacher in the early 1600s. Horatio Bonnar uh, said of him that he busily continued redeeming the time for Christ. I'd, he busily redeemed his time for Christ? I just found that statement challenging. I uh, I don't busily redeem time for Christ. I busily redeem Christ, you know, for some a packet of Pringles and a bottle of wine every now and again. But, but he was painstaking. This is what Bonar said. He was painstaking, laborious in preaching the word, and did so for fifty-five years. This is the manner of the man. The very day that he took ill, the very day that he would die. The very day that he had his last sickness, he got up from writing, went out to visit a woman, spoke to her with great earnestness with hev about heaven and came back and died. But when Usher came to his deathbed, his last words were not, where's the Pringles and the wine? 
But his last words were on March the 21st, 1656, he prayed like this before he closed his eyes. But Lord, in special, forgive me my sins of omission. What? I want to, don't you want to visit that guy? You had, on the day that you died, got up out of your bed and witnessed to a, you didn't just die in peace. You spent 55 years witnessing day and night and you have, think that you have the sins of omission. Here is a man that to everyone else, to me, was effective in ministry, blessed by God, and in his dying moment was oppressed by the fact that he busted up in evangelism. Are you supposed to say that? No. Edit that bit. (laughs) But when I read stories like that, and when I look into my own heart, and when I look into your heart, I conclude that, that everyone actually is burdened by the same sense of weakness, neglect, and failure in the area of evangelism. And yet underneath, we want to be used by God. Isn't that our desire? That's what this was about this morning. We want to be used by God. We want to see people move from unbelief to belief. But we live with the reality of little or very small success. And the result is that often evangelism appears to have that oppressive feeling on it. I used to find those with missionary meetings. I used to hate going to missionary meetings because I just felt that missionary meetings made me feel awful. I know you're not supposed to say this either, but we can edit this one. I just felt the missionary meetings made me feel an absolute pillock. That was the way that they did. That I, I used to think, I know I've got to go to these, but I've got to go to these meetings. And they used, to, they used to wheel them up, didn't they? One after another. Here's this person in Africa, India, China. Wheel up one after another after another. And you're sitting in there. And as the time goes, because they do them for a day, is that you come out, by the time you've got to get back on a coach, you are burdened. Because you have not saved Africa, India, China, and all that sort of stuff. You just... And I find that's exactly the same sort of thing that he has. Oh no, this is another sermon on evangelism. Oh, can't you speak on something that will... Well, I did two weeks ago, so you're all right. You got that one. So this is just the other side of the balance. So I didn't know how to put this. I want to put it like this. I don't want to bash your head over the head, but I do have a longing. Yeah. Yeah. If, it, if this helps, can you not put Denzel's comments in there? If it, uh, if it helps, I'm supposed to lead the church. So I'm supposed to be, I suppose, better than you. This is my reality. My reality is that I know that I should be involved in evangelism but I'm scared that's my reality 
I know that when I preach the gospel, I hold back. I know. I can tell you that just in my preparation. I know that I'm coming to the 20th. And I will preach the gospel on the Sunday morning and I will preach it on the Sunday evening. And I will do it. But in here, I don't want to do it. I'd rather somebody else do it. I know I should, but I don't want to do it. I am struggling with the reality that since I've been here, that I've preached the gospel on numerous times and have not seen anybody saved with when I've preached the gospel. So on one hand, I would love you to do like Rupert brings and bring thousands of people to hear the gospel. On the other hand, I just think, I've got to go preach to them. And although you'll say, Nigel, the sovereignty of God is just this, that God... You'll do all that. I know that I will stand up there and I will, I will, will I go again on the 20th and preach the gospel and not have anybody saved? If you want to know what my burden is, there it is. You think it's easy? To, well, I'm just battering on about, bruh. I, you know, this was what was once said of me by Richard Thomas. You can ring him up. He leads the church in Worcester. You can try. Richard Thomas once said of me that if Nigel said bananas, somebody would get saved. Well, I've been here, I've said pineapples, apples, bananas. I've said the whole lot and somebody has not been saved. Can I ask you a question? Do you think that I would like to see that changed? Do you think that I'm living with the, the reality of the burden of being here for nearly five years and not seeing anybody saved? Do you think I'd rather not do this after that? Now, here it comes. Do you think I'm not going to do it? No. I'm going to do it. But I want you to come with me on my journey because I just don't want you to know. I'll, and so therefore, I'll, I'm not going to bash you over the head because it means that I've got to bash me too. <laughs> but I do want to say that I have a burden. I do have a burden and I do have a longing and that my longing is this that I would be changed when I preach that I have a longing that I would be more fruitful when I preach that I have a longing that whatever it is that is in my life that hinders people that to, in regard to becoming Christians that anything in my life that is a hindrance would just go because I don't want to be a hindrance or a burden to anybody else. I want to be a channel in which God would use me for people to be saved. I want there to be a new touch of power on my life that would just transform me, that would transform my preaching. I am willing to change anything so that people would be saved. Willing to learn again. And I know that I... I'm in need of an incredible outpouring of the Holy Spirit to make me effective. So I, I don't want to bash you over the head this morning, but I do come with a longing and a dream, and it's David that stood up and he said, can you look that way? And when he made me do that, I have to say, though, I didn't want to look. And I didn't want to look 
because I, I, I wanted it to be full three years ago. I didn't want it to be like this now. When I came here, I wanted this to be full three years ago, four years ago. I didn't want to still be battling around with 30, 40, 50 people after five years. I came here so that we, we might be able to plant a vibrant church, that we would fill places like this, that we'd go on and do it again and again and again. That I was on a journey until I died, planting churches and seeing them effective and grow. That I didn't want to, So I didn't want to turn around, David. Because I kept thinking, I've turned around so many times, so many times before, prayed the same prayer, David, that you asked us to pray. And I just thought, have I got the courage to pray one more? And, and I thought... I, yeah, I've got to do it again. I've got to do it again. Because I'm not, it sounds horrible, but I don't think we should be here for three and for 30 or 50 people. We should fill the room. That should be our vision. It should be. But it becomes sort of almost like a burning, a burden. So I come with a deep longing for myself and for my dream, because I just think, what might it be look like to have a healthy, happy, free, authentic, loving, powerful, evangelistic, outreaching, soul-saving church? Just think, what might it be like? What might it be like to know that every time that you gather, people are being saved? The reality is, we don't know. But when we do... Can you imagine the wheel and the, the, once it goes, how fast it will go? If you share that longing, if you share the longing for the gap, the hole, and the reality of people being saved, I want to ask you, not just at prayer meetings, but to make this prayer your, your, I don't know, Make this your earnest prayer. That's the best way of, I don't know what I'm saying, but you know what I mean. Why don't you begin to pray for this? Begin to pray for breakthrough. I don't think we should settle for this. I think when we're looking at the whole armor of God, there's a militancy about it that we need to grasp in our mind. This should not be it. So I want us to focus on Ephesians chapter 6, verse 15. The shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given to us by the gospel of peace. I just want to put some things down that you probably know, but I think I want to remind us again. And the first thing is this, that the gospel that we carry is a gospel of peace. Therefore, before we focus on the issue of readiness and its place in the armour of God. I just want to say a word about the gospel of peace. The gospel that we have for the world, for our husband who is not saved, for our sister who is not saved, for our neighbour, classmate, college, or unreached people's group, the gospel that we have is the good news of God who purchased peace. He purchased peace by death of his son and he offers peace to sinners who believe in Jesus Christ we have an offer of peace what do I mean by that we have the good news of Jesus we have the good news that God's wrath actually has been turned away against sinners 
It has been taken away through the death of Jesus. And everyone who believes in him is reconciled to him. They are not at peace with God. The Bible says that they are enemies with God. And there's nothing better in the world than peace. If you listen to any world leader, they will tell you, well, let's put any world er uh, leader of any significance, they will tell you that their aim is peace. That's what they will tell you. So their assumption is quite correct that the answer to the world is peace. But the only reason that there is any conflict in this world is this, that people are not at peace with God. That is the main problem. Actually, they are God's enemies. And the reason the world is in conflict and not at peace is that the people are not at peace with God. That actually our world is, uh, is set against, they are at war with God. So we bring the message of peace to the world. What is the world's problem? Peace. Well, Mr. Obama says that. No, it isn't like that. It is peace, what with God. It's not just a message of peace. It's peace with God. We bring that. We say, look, this is where conflict ends. Every piece of conflict that we can see in the world, we need to get this in our mind, comes from this one source that the human mind and nature is at, is at war with God. How do you see that? Ephesians 2, verse 13 and 18. But now Christ Jesus, who you once... Uh, sorry, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far, far off has been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. For he himself is our peace, yeah? Who has, made both, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, abolishing the law of its commandments expressed in its ordinance that he might create in himself one new man. So make in peace. So making peace. and might reconcile us to both God in one money through the cross, hereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to those who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we have access in one spirit. Jesus offers peace. That could be described as peace of mind, it could be described as peace in nations, it could be... And, and we bring a message that helps people to not <coughs> live in conflict how do you deal with um, the issue of a husband and wife how do you deal with that 
Well, you can put some principles in which that they live. You can do that, and they can live reasonably well. You can do that. How do you live with a nation? You can put some principles. Will we be able to stay in that? No. Because the fundamental person is at <coughs> war with God. And the fundamental issue is that if we are going to break that down and talk about marriages and families and right the way down into all sorts of structures of life, then the first and major principle has to come peace with God. You can't restore a marriage or parent unless that 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 peace has first been sorted out. You can't do it. And we bring an answer first of peace. First of peace, that's what we carry. So we are asked to put on the whole armour of God. We are reminded that the gospel is by the grace of God. We believed it by the grace of God. We've been saved through the grace of God. And Paul tells us that we, that we have... Uh, to, that Paul says in Ephesians 6.15 that the readiness of this gospel of peace is to be put on like shoes in our, as, as part of our spiritual armour. So let's think about this. Let's think about the readiness to do that, to put on these shoes. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11 and 12, put on the whole armour of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of heavenly places. So what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to put on these shoes. And these shoes will enable us to give the gospel. They're the gospel, they're described as readiness. So what am I walking into with these shoes? What am I walking into? Well, the context of this is firstly that all life is war. You've probably heard this statement before. But I don't know whether you've actually decided that that is true. Because sometimes it's almost as if you can think something, but the reality of it hasn't yet got into our mind. That when we go out there to share this gospel of peace, we are going out into a war zone. It will be war. From the cot to the grave, we are involved in war. Your soul, your mind, your body, your family, your career are all fields of conflict. Why? Because Satan is the robber of anything that is good. And sometimes people say, well, you know, my job is a pain. You should see, Phil, the people that Phil works with. Yeah? Here's the reality check, Phil. That is absolutely true. Because that is the way that Satan does it. It's just true. What about the people in... You should see that, you know, that in my school there are all these people... Sorry, not your school, because you don't have one. But in your school, in your living room, you have all these kids. And, you know, nine times out of ten... That, you know, nine of them are real pain in the bum. Yeah, that's right. Life is war. Life is war. The aim of Satan is to give no peace. That is it. That is it. 
So people go into life, don't they? And they go into work, and this sort of thing, it goes bang! And they go, what on earth was that? And they say, so-and-so said, so-and-so did, so-and-so. And it's almost as if what they haven't done is that they haven't expected those things to happen. Whereas if we went in, okay, oh, it's, it's conflict. I'm going in, it's my career, it's my job, it's my family. That's why the whole armour of God, I need to be prepared. I'm going into this. We go in unprepared because we forget that life is war, whatever it is. Secondly, war is against supernatural evil powers. Why do I say that? I'll come back to that in a little bit. Because often what we do is that we think that it's not, that we think it's dead personal. Which is what we do, don't we? Every, we relate everything personally. You upset me. It's dead. Everything is dead personally. How many times have you come back from work, come back from a situation, and when they said, he said, she said. It's, it's, always, it's always related personal, isn't it? They are after It's always like that, isn't it? Not only do that, you have evidences to prove why they are after me. But this is what the Bible said. The war is not a war of flesh and blood, but with supernatural evil powers. And what amazes me about these verses that we read in Ephesians 6, 11 and 12 is not what Paul says, but not, is what he doesn't say. And I'm not surprised when you hear him say that we wrestle with evil, angelic, demonic, supernatural powers. What surprises me is that he says, but we don't let wrestle against flesh and blood. Why? Because I feel like I always wrestle against flesh and blood. It's always you. <laughs> and I want to say to Paul, don't you? Come on, Paul. You know the bloke that stoned you. You know the guy that beat you. You know the one who imprisoned you. You know the people that threw you out of town. You know the one that lobbed you over the side of the ship. You know the guy that battered your flesh. You know the guy that spilt your blood again. And yet you say to me that this is not an issue of flesh and blood. What do you mean? It ain't an issue of flesh and blood. Surely it's people. Surely, surely... It was Rupert Leslie. He had the stick in his hand. He raised his hand over the Apostle Paul's head. He brought it down and did not stop until the Apostle Paul was dragged and left into a lonely prison. So I thought the answer was, I'd go and visit the Apostle Paul and ask him, why when I think that everything's personal, do you not think it is? Because I relate everything personal. That's, my, that's one of my greatest problems, and I believe it probably is what yours. So I wrote a little thing as the Apostle Paul would say it. So I want you to imagine this is, this is Galatians 2, letter 2, okay? But it's to Nigel in Galatia. So it is to the elders at Gateway Church, Wrexham. 
Blessings and peace be upon you in the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray daily for David Simpkins because he worries me. No. <laughs> Sorry. He goes on, he says, Dear elders, you are right. Flesh and blood is real. But it can be very, and it can be very evil. But what I mean is this. Whenever someone's flesh attacks me, or someone's blood boils against me, or in any way is hindered by man, something else is going on. Something deeper, something bigger, something more terrible, something more sinister, something more destructive than meets the eye. I don't mean that flesh and blood can't hurt you or hinder you in the cause of Christ. I mean that the prince of the power of the air is more dangerous than any of his subjects and that he has to be overcome if you are to win the battle and, the co- and, and so that it w- is lost in Wrexham. It is a change of perspective. I was just reminded that we that we first think that he, that it is that evangelism is war, and then we realise that it is conflict. Then we realise that it is supernatural conflict. But then I realized what the Bible has said to me, that all authority has been given to me to be able to overcome this. And if I ask, I can be given. So I do want you to know it's war. But I, don't, I do want you to know it's not personal. And sometimes it can be just personal, can't it? I want you to know thirdly that there, are da- there is a danger of falling in the battle of evangelism. Three times the Apostle Paul is at pains to say, please stand and don't fall over. I've had a strange situation this week because I've had three, I've had three instances in regard to standing. First of all, my, my youngest daughter telephoned me to say, Dad, I fell over. And uh, it's very difficult if you're a police officer to fall over because it is dead embarrassing. When you've got your uniform on and your funny hat and all that sort of stuff, stab vest and sprays and all that sort of stuff, and you go base over apex in front of people, you can imagine what the people do. So she was highly embarrassed that she fell over with all the uniform, with all the public thinking, and these people are to protect me? <laughs> the second occasion that you'll be able to check this out and she'll go mad at me here, but I'm going to leave via this door... Is that, is that the second occasion is, is that we had a phone call from my second daughter who said that she was walking through the Myla Hospital who was full of people and suddenly she went base over apex with the handbag going that way and the contents going like this. And I believe that it, the worst thing is not falling over, ladies. It's the contents of your handbag that went all over the place. <laughs> and people picking things up and saying, here, is this yours, love? No, not mine. <laughs> you can check that. The third thing is that we went away this week just a couple of days to help Amy. She's moved house and, and Dad was doing some Dad things. And Callie was in the shower. And suddenly there's this, whatum, bang, boom! And I think, do I go, do I not? So I go, and I go in. And there's Callie on the floor in a heap with the shower rail and the shower curtain it all sort of wrapped round her. So I said, what happened? She said, I slipped and I thought the best thing to do was hang on to the curtain rail. <laughs> 
So I've had three occasions this week of falling. It could be that I'm next, but there you go. But here it is in regard to falling. The Apostle Paul tells us that we could fall. That's why he said to us, stand. And when it comes to evangelism, someone does not want us to stand. Somebody wants us to fall. Somebody wants you to sit down and to not do it. The Apostle Paul says, stand, and the devil says, sit down. The Apostle Paul says, stand, and the devil says, sit down. And the Apostle Paul says, stand, and the devil says, sit down. So who has pushed us around? We have been pushed around by the devil himself who has said, sit down. Now, if I said that in those two, it's all going a bit strange up there. What on earth is that? Is that rain? It's not the ceiling coming in then. Okay. But, if, but you see, I just want to take you to just a really simple illustration. If I tried to push you around, you would get really angry with me. If I tried to make you do something that you do, you would get really knocked with me. But what is interesting is that in the Christian world of conflict and that sort of stuff, we haven't realized that Satan has got us to do something that he exactly wants us to do. The Apostle Paul says stand and Satan says sit down. So we sit down. We don't do. We are not doing it because he has won. That's why we're not doing it. It isn't just that, that he has done something that we should not accept. No, I'm not going to sit down in this. I'm going to stand. We have been pushed around to the point of not sharing the gospel. And the question is, are we going to allow that? But God has made us a provision for us to stand. And that provision is his armour. We haven't got time to go into that. You can look at that at another stage. But Jude says this, that he's able to keep you from falling. That's what it says. So if we believe what God has said, and we actually do this, we can have some victories in it. So who is pushing you and me around? So having our feet shod, with readiness. What does that mean? The context that we read, having our feet shod with the gospel of peace, is readiness. We are not shod with the gospel, we are shod with readiness. Let me just take that weight off you. You are not shed with the gospel. Shod with the gospel, sorry. Not shed, shod with the gospel. You are shed, you are shod, oh shut up. <laughs> with, with readiness. Yeah. I think sometimes what we feel is that we've got to be the successful agents in this. I've got to get this right. I've got to go uh, repentance, faith in Jesus, baptism, baptism in order, joining the church, the end times, the prophetic element, gifts of the Spirit, and that's uh, dumb. No, that's not what, the, it's not what we've been taught here. It says we're shod with readiness. We're being asked to be ready with the gospel that's what we've been asked to I think this means let your feet be ready to move with the gospel now I've learnt something that has come as a revelation to me that actually uh, you put on that feet are for moving 
It's true. Callie tells me that I don't move very fast. Apparently, it's still an issue, if you'd like to deal with this with us between in our marriage, that she thinks that I didn't move fast enough when she fell in the shower. <laughs> I, I thought that I did. Um, I was actually thinking, how much is this going to cost me first? And then I thought, I'll move and wait up and see. That was the issue. So I was trying to weigh it up first. But actually, feet are for moving from one place to another. That's what they're designed to do. And if you put on the shoes of readiness, it might be just, are you ready to move? Are you ready to go? Are you ready to react? Are you ready if an opportunity arises? Are you ready to make an opportunity arise? Are you ready to go? And I think actually... That's one of the battle points. That what we aren't is that we're not going out into the different situations that we go into ready to go. So we had the interesting thing with the little tracty things, didn't we? We had some that sort of took them. We had some that didn't. And, you know, and they probably became like a great weight in the pocket. Oh, no, God, why? But if I want to just step back a little bit, the issue isn't the tract. The issue is the heart issue. I am ready to go. I'm ready to go with this. Whatever might happen, I am ready to go. So in my thinking, I'm ready. So where's our thinking? Are we ready? Let me try and put some of this into a, a bit of a theological background. You know this. Isaiah 52 verse 7 it's almost certain that when Paul is writing here, that he's repeating um, uh, that, where he says, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of him who bring good news, who publish peace, who bring good tidings, who publish salvation, whatever it is, who say to Zion, Your God reigns. So here we have a picture of people who are running to bring good news. Ready to go. Ready to run. Ready to go. Ready, ready to say, our God reigns. Ready to bring it. So it's just that sort of thing. What are you ready to do? Well, actually, I'm ready to go around Tesco's. Oh, but are you ready to go te around Tesco's with the gospel? No. It's just sort of that. Let's try another one. Colossians 3 and 4 is another reason. If you look at it, this is almost a repeat passage of Ephesians 6. And in the passage that we've just looked at in spiritual warfare, but in this passage, you'll notice that in Ephesians 6 and in Colossians 3, that it's got like a logic to it. So both passages deal about husbands and wives, children and parents, masters and slaves. And then if you look at it, both move on to uh, uh, an offensive thing. So Paul talks about the whole armour of God, and then in this instance, in Colossians chapter um, chapter four, he says, "Conduct yourselves wisely toward outsiders, making the most of your time. Let your speech be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer everyone." So again, it's the same. I want you to be alert. I want you to be too ready. I want you to be ready to go. 1 Peter 3, verse 15. Uh, one last confirmation. The word ready. Be always ready or be always prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you. So the starting point for success for the gospel is a heart, I'm ready. I'm ready to go. 
ready to do it. That's how I woke up this morning. I'm ready to go, ready to have it, ready to share. It isn't you've got to pick up the burden of how many. Please don't do that. Have this one. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to tell somebody, ready to share, ready with it on my mind, ready with the stuff that I need to have with me. Have I got a Christmas invite? Have I got the full points tracks with it? Am I ready to go? I understand that it is quite difficult for ladies to go out without a bag. Don't go out without your bag. Without your readiness. Let's bring this to a conclusion. I want to ask you, before we have our barn dances, before we have our guest services, are you ready? Are you ready? Have you got what what you need on you for when the opportunity arises? Are you ready? Are you equipped? I believe that God wants every person to experience the power of the gospel. I believe that with all my heart. I believe it's something that is lacking, but God wants us to experience it. It's introduced as a defensive armour, where it says, put on the whole armour of God. And I think sometimes we can think of these things as defensive. If put on the whole armour of God, it's like a defensive thing here. This is what I believe that Paul is saying, the essence of this. That the, the, that the best way to experience success is not defense but offense. And some of the reasons that we are not experiencing success is that we have a defense mentality and that God wants us to be offensive he wants the church to be offensive, not defensive. And sometimes we, we picture the whole armour of God as some sort of protection thing. And actually, the whole armour of God is so that you can go charge it in there. It isn't so that you can wait there, sort of just thinking, oh look, fiery dart. Just fiery dart. Another one. Fiery dart. That sort of stuff, you know. No, fiery dart. The answer is, bring the fiery darts. Got the armour on. Charge. And I think it's that we, we forget that we're called to charge. We're called to be on the offence. We're called to go. We're not called to stay. Where do I get this from? You get it from the Bible. It says this in the Bible. Jesus said it. He who loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. So the more ready we are to move with the Gospel, the more life and the power and the joy and the success we will have in the Gospel. It is simply that. The reason that we don't have success is not because of the nature of our program room. It actually is that we're not prepared to lose our life so that we might gain something. That what we would prefer to do is wait back here and see whether something happens. But we were designed by God to be different. We're designed to lose our life. What does that mean? That in giving we receive, in dying we live. I... 
I think the most exciting thing that I have experienced in the last two weeks is Steve from Deeside becoming a Christian. And that's done something in me. It's done something in my heart. And I think what we've forgotten, we need to just admit, we have forgotten what it's like to have people irregularly saved. So we, we're living in an experience of not having that as a regular thing. But what I realized in my heart was when I'm driving down the motorway with Martin Charlesworth, who can be a bit formal, and I get a text from Phil Harmon describing, as only Phil Harmon can do over nine texts, (laughs) the in-depth thing of this change of life with Martin reading me. And I found my foot going on the accelerator as I hacked down the M6. And Martin's going, slow down, Nigel. I just, and I just, I just almost, I lost myself. I kept thinking, I am in one big party at the moment. Heaven is rejoicing. I'm rejoicing. And bring it on. I'm like, whoa, come on. 90 miles an hour. I was sinning and rejoicing at the same time. With Martin going, hold on, hold on. And I'm thinking, no, one sinner got saved. And the problem is that it's become that rarity thing, hasn't it? And we was never designed to be a rarity. Is that your plea in court? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm in trouble now, aren't I? It's on the inter- It's both. I found with Steve, we, this is what happened. We dropped, we, dropped, we dropped Phil Harmon in it from a great height. Because we're driving over to Deeside, and Kelly says to me these words. She said, I think you should say to Steve, is there any reason why you should not be saved tonight? So I go, I think that should be Phil Harmon's job. (laughs) (laughs) Callie says, so do I. And I think, oh, such relief. (laughs) So we go into the room beforehand and Phil's got this funny room that's got gadgets everywhere. It's not a room, it's just a big gadget. If you go to the Harmon sales, there's cables and things and, and light, little lights that flash and do funny things. And He's a gadget. <laughs> In fact, I'm beginning to think he's a robot or a clone. He's not human at all. He just is a big six-foot-four gadget. That's what he is. Rachel plugs him in and charges him up at night. He doesn't get a bed. It's that sort of thing. Any, why am I saying this? Anyway, we go into the room and... We look at, and, and Callie says, I've got the word from the Lord. It's like, they're always great words, these ones. Like, you should lead them to Christ. That's the word. We're off now. <laughs> so, but I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what, I don't know whether Rachel can recall it or anything like that. There, it was dangerous, but it was the most exciting moment that I'd had for weeks. Because suddenly he came through. And suddenly he was something I kept thinking, I miss this. Don't you miss people being saved? Don't you miss the miracle of new birth? I kept thinking, I miss this. And the reason that I miss this is that I'm not doing anything about it. So come on, Nigel. That was the thing. 
So when you're reading, how lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who bring good news, proclaiming peace, announcing news of happiness. Our God reigns. That was it. That was it. It was one of those moments you thought, no, come on. So I believe that the gospel should be for us to go and tell, not for us to wait and see. Who says that you should be... Excuse me, I know this is about the sovereignty. There's this thing, isn't there? There's this huge pressure that what we... You know, when the Lord comes, people will be saved, Rue. It's almost as if we'll creep in one day. A week on Wednesday, it will be. week on Wednesday, we creep in. And suddenly, the Lord will come. And suddenly, out of the doors, will come 350 people and join the church. And there is a sense of mentality in the church that people are waiting for the sovereignty of God. This is how the Lord works. The Lord works by us going out, and that's where we see him work. That's where we see him work. Let me try and explain this. In two weeks' time, we will preach on what is called the incarnation. That is not the stuff that your mum puts on peaches when you invite guests round for tea on a Sunday. The Indian guys are thinking, what is that? That's a tin of carnation. Okay. You don't want to go there, don't buy it, don't have it, but we were, in, we were forced to have it for 30 years. And my mum used to say, we've got peaches and cream. That's not cream, that's carnation. <laughs> Let me try and go back and explain to you the incarnation. The incarnation is this, that Jesus left here and dwelt amongst people here. That's the incarnation. Now then, here we are. Here's the doctrine. We are in Christ. We are his representative. Therefore, we have to be an incarnation people. That's it. We are born to be incarnated, which means that we leave our places and we go and dwell there. Jesus, if you like, let's put this one. He left the temple in heaven and he dwelt there among sinners. We leave the church. We dwell here because we are the incarnated people. We are wrong to stay here. He left one place and went to another. We do that. And then he said this, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. Be, now look, now here it comes. This is the last and final bit. When he came down to earth, and he was incarnate, so I'm just talking to you, Rupert, ignore the, the rest of them. When he came down, so the incarnation happened. He dwelt amongst men, right? What happened when he went and dro- dwelt amongst men? Not only did he save them through the cross, but you look at the extraordinary miracles and things that he did. He didn't do it shouting from heaven. He went there and he accomplished these incredible, miraculous, powerful things amongst people because he was incarnated. And what we say here, excuse me, we say we must have revival meetings. 
then what we must all lie on the floor or, or something like this and, and it's great and the church get blessed and I feel gooey and I feel really nice but actually that's not what we were designed to do we were designed to be incarnated to take this wonderful message out there and to see the signs and wonders out here and not in here they were not designed for us they were designed for other people because the incarnated Christ took them out to the people and did them there and what we do is this way, the incarnated Christ come to us and I benefit from a few. And then what you say is, well, it was so-and-so's bad. Just a little feely here thing. Just you're not sure, but, you know, praise God. You know, it's a moving miracle. It'll get better over the next 19 weeks. It's because we were designed to be an incarnation church for us to go from there out for us to take with us what Christ took with us. So Gateway Church Mission must never be a come and see mission. Never. David's looking at his watch. I'm going to stop now, David. (laughs) But it must be a tell mission. You, David. You, Rupert. Me. We must lead on this. We cannot expect them to do what we don't do. Guys, we must set an example. So must their wives. We must lead on it. That stopped you looking at your watch. <laughs> Let's see what we can do. Let's see what we can do. We've got two days to do a barn dance. Let's see what we can do. Let's go and be incarnated. We've got two weeks to do the 20th with a brass band. Let's see what we can do. See what we can do. What can you do? What can I do in the next two weeks, two days? I believe I can do a lot. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. I need to believe this for me. I need to want this for me. Do I want that? I need to ask for this for me. I think there's three things. Please stand. Just going to read this uh, verse again. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. You can answer this in the quietness. Do you believe this for you? Let me ask you that question again. Do you believe this for you? Now what's going to happen is that someone's going to say yes... Some quietly are going to say no. 
if you've said no, then we can't move to the next stage. So you have to bear with me in regard to the next question. So if you've said no, that's fine. You've said no. If you've said yes to, I need, I believe something of this for me, this is the next question. Do you want this? Not only do you believe it, do you want it? Do you want it? So if you've said, yes, I want it, we can now move on. If you've said, no, I believe it, but I don't want it, then we can't move on with you. If you've said, I believe it, and I want it, the third thing is that I want to ask this for you, so that you would do this. So Father, you've said that you would pro you've promised that we will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon us and we will be your witnesses in Wrexham and the borough and North Wales and the UK and the ends of the earth. Father, we thank you that we believe it. We thank you that we want it. And now we ask your Holy Spirit to come upon us. We ask you to fill us with your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come now. Come upon us. Come and fill us with power. We need your power. And I pray, Rachel, for you that you would have power this week with your scaffolder or whatever he is. That you will have power. I want to pray for every person that said that they needed help this week. That you would have power from the Holy Spirit. Come upon us, Holy Spirit. Uh, we need you. Uh, we're weak, but we need you. We thank you, Lord, that you have said that the Holy Spirit comes upon us and you will be. That there will be a natural flowing out of God from us. Because we believe it, want it, it will come. I want to pray, Lord Jesus, for this week. I want to pray... Uh, for a bucket load of divine opportunities. Yes. I want to pray, Lord, for people that will ask us, would you like to tell us about Jesus? Mm. Would you like to tell us about church? Mm. Would you explain a little bit about your life? I want to pray for people that will suddenly just open up. And Lord, I want to pray that at that time, your power will come upon us and we will find ourselves supernaturally empowered by you. I want to pray for bravery and courage that your Holy Spirit would overcome us. I want to pray, Lord, that in 2010, our testimony will be that we will see people saved on a regular basis. Amen. I want to pray, Lord Jesus for the joy of one after another, after another, after another, after another, people be, being saved. Amen. Lord, as we go, as we go, <laughs> Lord, that you will add to us. Okay, please do be seated. Can you turn the tape off? <laughs>